This episode of Rogecast is brought to you directly from the founders of Rogue Monkey. We are focused on bringing you the latest trends in technology and innovation and connecting bright, aspiring entrepreneurs of the future to the wealth of industry experts that can inspire you to turn your business ideas into a reality today. Hello and welcome to the second season of Rogecast with me, your host, Kara Stone. Season two is aimed at learning from founders themselves, and today we're joined by Will Billingsley, the co-founder of Aptart, who will be discussing first-time funding. And um, so perhaps you want to start by telling us a little bit about your career journey and what made you launch Aptart with your co-founder? Yeah, sure. Um, it was really fresh out of university for me, so my career is is Aptart, <laughs> I suppose. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so from quite uh, from a personal perspective, I was kind of heading down the track of uh, life sciences, potentially becoming a doctor, but really wasn't for me. I kind of come from family background of teachers and doctors, and yeah, I just felt that I needed to kind of diversify a little bit, do something a bit different. Uh, so I actually ended up doing a degree in biology at Imperial College, and then tagged a year on in the business school to, it was basically a year in management just to kind of open up some more doors for myself and and see what I could do and throughout the course of that uh you know got good practice writing business plans and marketing plans and things like that but there's no I don't know real world application there uh at the same time Nadal one of the one of the three co-founders of AppTap he had finished his master's in in theoretical physics from Imperial uh the year before myself and Issa, the, the third co-founder, finished our degrees. So he'd been off um, in a couple of entrepreneurial groups as one called Founders of the Future. Um, and really we learned about open banking as a concept through that. So open banking is basically uh, a mandate from the European government and then the British government to say, well, hey, financial institutions, you need to open up customer personal data um, if you know, a customer wants it to be so. So, you know, um, I could say to my Barclays account, I could be like, hey, I want you to share my transactions, my name, my address, whatever it may be with AppTap so they can they can do their thing. And I'll get into into what we do in a second. But um, so we learned about this, this concept and it was all very new. And so we thought, hey, surely there's something quite cool we can do here. I was paying the bills for my flat and chasing my flatmates for it. Uh, the other co-founders had had problems of their own uh, with like debt collection agencies for cancelling contracts incorrectly. And it's just, it's a mess and it's arduous. People just aren't aware of what's going on. Yeah. And so we actually started by by trying to link people's spending to their carbon footprint, something we were quite passionate about and and still are just kind of approaching it from a different angle. And that evolved steadily into kind of a more of a, a personal financial management app, the more feedback we got from customers and um, really evolved into what, you know, into what we are now, I suppose, but from a more customer facing perspective, uh, the big, the big piece of feedback was, Hey, you know, what can I actually do? I can see my money, but there's no, there's no action that I can take. And so we really honed in on the, on the element of control, so to speak. We pitched that to, to customers, to financial institutions. We launched a beta. Um, 
yeah and and throughout the course of kind of all of those different pieces of the puzzle coming together we we ended up pivoting to more of a b2b to c angle where we offer our apis our technology our algorithms to financial institutions to budgeting tools um debt agencies whoever it may be uh even doing some work with a charity uh, so that they can offer our tools to their customers. It helps us scale quite quickly, um, but it also it, it's about relationship building for that client and, and their end user. So AppTap in a nutshell, what we do is uh, we're building what we call a kind of subscription store, a subscription control center. Uh, really, it's the ability for a customer to see all of their payments all in one place uh, across any number of bank accounts. They can then uh, connect their service provider profiles as well. So you can see how you use your energy, your phone, your broadband. Uh, and so in pulling all of that together, we can say, here are the best deals on the market for you. And then we allow the customer to cancel, compare, switch, or sign up to services with a couple of taps of a button. Um, in turn, then for financial institutions, it's about engagement. It's about driving new revenue. Um, and for service suppliers, it's direct channels into those customers and kind of actionable insights back to them so they can improve their their products and services. So that's been, you know, the last kind of three, three and a half, almost four years of, of my life now. Yeah, no, that's really, really cool. Um, and you all sort of met at uh, university. Would you say that actually helps? Yeah, I mean, pros and cons uh, to, to starting a, a company with your friends. I think people always say don't start one with your family. Uh, <laughs> so I think I've done both now. Well, I work uh with my mom's business but also then um have started it with you know two of my best friends from imperial um but there's two sides to that coin um the pros and cons being uh you can you know you can basically say whatever you want to the other person and it's not going to be um you know it's not it doesn't always have to be a professional relationship um but then on the flip side of that you know, things can get personal and sometimes that's not a great thing. And sometimes you just need to be able to say this is business and this is personal, which I think, you know, is a is always going to be a work in progress, but we've developed it quite nicely and just having really clear divides in terms of your roles and responsibilities. And as we grow, we're now um, 10 or 11 people. And uh, yeah, we're, you know, able to kind of siphon those off a little bit more and, and delegate responsibilities, which is really nice. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, like, could you tell us a bit about the route you took to initially fund Aptop? So we're big believers in in the lean startup and lean methodologies in general. Uh, so for us, it was really, you know, everyone talks about your MVP, but what is what is a true MVP and what's the least we can do? We actually did an initial round through family and friends, and that was really based on the idea and the first prototypes and, and some of the the kind of customer interviews that we did i mean we i guess we we must have gone down high street kensington which is the road outside of imperial college and and into uh uh down exhibition road into south ken tube stop just to interview i mean hundreds of people at the end of the day which was you know literally just stood there and, and kind of shaking people to get information out of them and that allowed us to really build up you know what we were looking to build first and foremost and then yeah that that really I think put some kind of like tangible things in our hands so that we could uh, start to attract some talent at the time uh, only ESA was really somewhat technical and hadn't really, you know, it never built up an app worthy of a, building a company around before that's for sure. Um, 
and so we needed some technical talent and we were joined by our head developer in the summer of 2019 so we started the business in January 2018 um, did all of this work customer interviews and iterations on betas and launched a, a private beta and that sort of thing throughout kind of 2018 beginning of 2019 um yeah and it was like kind of beginning of 2019 where we said well actually this this kind of twist or this change in business model might work out a bit better for us and um you know now we have we, we know what customers want we're getting an idea more and more um at that time of of what the banks want and what these service suppliers want and so we were onboarding providers uh, basically week in, week out to, to get deals from them. Um, yeah, and it got to kind of beginning of the summertime. We found our head developer, basically turned around and said, look, guys, I, I love this thing. Uh, he's been absolutely essential for us. Um, and him being able to come in, him and Isa being able to kind of build the first versions of that prototype that you could then hand to investors or, or potential clients or customers even to actually click through and see this stuff actually working on the back end as opposed to just a, a prototype that's you know on, on something like Envision or Proto.io. I think that really changed the game for us. Um, so we are part of the London Partners Business Growth Program in that, that summer and uh, met TSB Bank. So I actually then... You know, we were we were talking to a number of investors at that point, um, and we basically fundraised off the back of. Uh, I'm not sure. Hopefully, our our first investor doesn't listen to this one. Um, basically, fundraised off the back of those conversations, which you know nothing was truly committed at that point. But there's, you know, it's all about how you tell the story. So it's what tangible steps, what tangible commitments have you gotten from, you know, your clients or investors or, you know. Um, or, or end users, whoever it may be, whoever you're targeting, so that you can show a progression over time and, and why you've built certain elements, what you focused on and um, where you intend to take that and the reasoning behind that. And I think it's all just, you know, map this out. We can say to our investors in, you know, July, we're here in August, we're going to be here. We'd like to have kind of cash in the bank by September and then, uh, between September and, and March, we'll have this kind of TSB pilot agreed and up and running. And that's essentially what we did. What, what kind of challenges did you come across then and more specifically then when sourcing this early funding? Uh, yeah, basically everything, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I've definitely had a nicely rounded experience. I think the big one for most people is gonna be this chicken and egg. Uh, it's always, I need cash to build and I need to build to get the cash. Um, I know. And it's about, again, telling the story. It's about convincing people. It's about selling everything. Everything is sales. It's about selling your proposition, your vision, your mission, uh, that it's going to be good to work with you as founders and as teammates. Um, and that, you know, this idea has legs. So for us, it was, um, and the big things for our early investors were, you know, the conversations that we we're having, the sales pipeline, the, the proof points, like, early stage investors, those first angel investors, they're betting on you. They're not betting, you know, there ha of course there has to be uh, an idea of there's a market or there's a market that might come out of what we're doing. Um, but for the most part, you know, they're looking at who you are as an individual, the tenacity, the, the resilience, can you perform, can you deliver? Uh, and I think we, 
we just strive to show that. And I think we reached out to probably about 300 investors over the course of the last, uh, the first funding round, the last one we did, maybe more. Mm -hmm. um, and all it takes is, is one person to say yes, to get the ball rolling or even fill the round. Um, so what we saw on our, on our last funding round, we did a second one um, beginning of December of 2020 is that as soon as, you know, first 50K, first 100K is committed, it's like, okay, okay. And then you go in and you pitch, you have a conversation where, hey, we're raising half a million. We have, you know, 450 committed. Then you're suddenly getting five or six investors saying, well, I want to go in, I want to go in. Um, and it really is just, you know, that's an easy, that's like FOMO. Um, it's, it, that's the, the kind of easiest route. If you can just create this, this demand for what you're doing. Um, and the best way to do that is to, is to have traction, to have people using your products to get feedback and, you know, getting for us, like one energy switch is better than none. Getting 10 is better than one, getting a hundred is better than our 10. So if we can keep pushing those, then, you know, it's proof in the pudding and, and that's very difficult to argue with. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that how you sort of ended up convincing, um, people on your idea and your business? Um, well, yes and no, there's you know, challenges and things, I think. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a certain element of it. But again, it's, you know, storytelling. They're betting on you at these early stages. And uh, yeah, we really, with, our, with the investor that led the last funding round, they, they really get what we're trying to do. They really get who we are as individuals and, and founders and as a team. Um, yeah, so I think... You know, there's the kind of ethos, pathos, logos behind all of these things. Uh, there's a right time and place to use an emotional argument, a logical one or, or data driven. Uh, and so for us on over the course of those funding rounds, it was about just like, how do we pull in each of these? We can show you that people are using it. But, you know, at this point, we need an injection of, of cash to get to milestone B and C and D. Um and sometimes it goes wrong and you have to turn around and say, well, actually we didn't hit this one, but instead we, we went kind of over here and, and, but here's why, and here's where this could actually go. And here's how it syncs up with the kind of wider vision of what we're doing. Um, and if, yeah, you know, we're constantly trying to improve on that front, constantly trying to learn. Um, so, you know, it's not always perfect. And I think that's really important to, to highlight the founding, the, the kind of startup journey can really really suck but it can also be the best thing ever so for us you know fundraising is great getting that accomplished and getting over the line uh feels great on the day and then the next day you wake up and you're like shit i've got you know half a million pounds of someone else's money to 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 make sure i spend that in an intelligent way that's you know backed by data or has reasoning behind it um you think there's extra pressure there then once you <laughs> oh certainly certainly um but i think it's a balance so i've had this conversation um on a slightly different tack with a couple of advisors of mine um one who actually runs quite a large uh, fintech consultancy uh, a big brand at the moment uh and another who's part of a private equity firm um so two very different positions uh different mindsets and uh, we were talking about the weight of employing people actually. So not just, it, it's just kind of similar elk, but 
these people are putting resources and capital into you. Your employees are, are putting you know, their trust, you know, the ability to, to kind of feed their family and pay their rent and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think what it boils down to is that you need to be able to keep the mindset of where you were when you were, you know, three people take the risks that are required to take the next step without worrying too much about the burden or the, the responsibilities. Uh, but on the flip side of that, you have to balance that with, you know, um, I've got people to look after. I've got cash. I've got investors to, to report to. Again, we're lucky that um, I think, well, anyone who gets involved in a startup at early stages has got to be a little bit crazy. And we've definitely got that that's a core thing in our team is that everyone's on board with this, with this idea. We know it's risky. We know what we're getting ourselves into, but we know that there's rewards at the end of it. You get to see your work in people's hands. You get to kind of own that experience. You get visibility over all these different aspects of, um, well, just everything, right. That you wouldn't have touch points over before, um, or, or in maybe a more corporate role. Uh, yeah. So I think of course there's pressure, but you have to balance that with um, just your your risk appetite, I suppose, and then your ambition as to, to where you want to take your business. What do you say um, to anybody that's currently on a in a, uh, involved with an accelerator program or thinking of going into one? Um, how would you sort of say to them to make the most of the experience? I'd say make the most of the experience. Really, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Put the hours into it right like it wasn't um it it's a balance and if the accelerator is a good one yeah. it's worth putting the time into it if it's one that you're not getting a lot of value from um you have to measure you know as to why you're not getting the value from it and you're not getting value from it because you're not putting the effort in or you're not getting value from it because it's just the not the right thing for you so i think um there are programs out there who will make you do kind of arbitrary work to build your business up uh, the way they see it. They may take equity stake in your company or, um, you know, invest directly. The ones we've been part of haven't invested and haven't taken stake in the business. And I think that is pros and cons to each, but I think that one lends to the fact that they can be more of a, a connector. Um, and so that, I think, you know, when we look at the three or four programs we've been in, we've been very um, present. I think, and, and that's something we learned through university as well. It's just, I don't think anything, nothing's going to just be kind of presented to you or given to you. I've got my, my qualms with uh, how Imperial College teaches their undergrad courses, but at the end of the day, um, they're putting out world-class research and it's because they're teaching people how to teach themselves or teach people to go and get it and go and learn and understand and read or... Um, and it's, it's the same for, I think, for any anything in life, but in these accelerator programs, you've got, like, for Accenture, we've 50 financial institutions. We're talking executives and managing directors across these, as well as some world-class mentors who are saying, I will put aside hours of my week to talk to these companies. And if you're sitting on the sidelines and not getting involved with that, you've only got yourself to blame. So really... Uh, if you're in it, you know, milk it for what it's worth because it's 100% yeah. worth it. Yeah. How important was networking whilst you were there? Networking is everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. And of course, I'm going to say that I'm the I'm the salesy commercial guy <laughs> for the business. Um, yeah. So I've there are obviously 
big things in life and this is very easy i guess for like a white male to say um but i am a, a believer in making your own luck and if you've got to go and again put in the effort uh put in the hours uh, and and get yourself uncomfortable like get outside of your comfort zone a little bit and there's so many times where I felt like oh it's just you know I can't it's been a long day I can't be bothered going to that event or um, you know obviously people get nervous like going up on stage and speaking or you're at like a networking event and, and they go like oh let's have like two or three or four people come up and just like give us a one minute pitch of what you do and everyone's kind of sitting there with their drinks being like nah, i don't really want to and just like just fucking go and do yeah. it yeah no one cares if you fuck it up no one knows because only you know realistically you've got something in your mind you want to say and if you don't say it perfectly only you'll know that you haven't said it perfectly everyone else in the room is thinking you know they've got balls to go up there and and you know speak to the group uh yeah and so i think we've tried to do that and just be a bit cheeky about it as well like there's so many um like conferences and things we've been to where like a speaker will come off stage go backstage and we'll just be you know kind of sidling around to to try and catch them as soon as they come out or or post up back there and it works right it totally works um i've definitely met people that I shouldn't have met uh, that have become very useful or very uh, friendly with over the course of the last few years, just by doing, by doing stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, Nadal, <laughs> my co-founder Nadal got into Stephen Hawking's like last lecture in Burial, for example, just by, by like pushing yourself, right. Like get out of your comfort zone and do something creative. Networking is everything and you never know who's going to be useful. So don't burn your bridges. Oh. Be polite treat people the way you want to be treated and all that sort of stuff yeah fantastic and obviously um with this we're currently in a lockdown but do you see any funding opportunities for fintech startups like yourself at the moment oh certainly definitely 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 um I won't comment on brexit but <laughs> uh no the, the uk is is one of if not the fintech hub of the world um so we're incredibly fortunate that we are in the uk for what we do um but yeah i mean there's there is so much capital out there when covid hit at the beginning of last year people were kind of saying well you know contingency fundraise for two years and, and blah 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 and then obviously loads of companies tapping into government funding schemes which i think um Actually, I find myself over in, in the States at the moment as we speak. Uh, but we've been very, uh, I think the government's done that quite well for small businesses. There were none that we could tap into. We didn't suit their criteria, but, you know, such is life that these things happen. Uh, frustrating at the time, but, you know, now that we're funded, we can look back and think, oh, well, you know, these, you know, win some, lose some. But there are funding opportunities and it goes to, to your point about networking. It's like, how do you, how do you get yourself out there? And um, throughout the course of the series of lockdowns, I think uh, a lot has changed and a lot has gone digital. It's easier to, I think people are more receptive to cold emails and cold invites uh, if you're willing to do it. If you're willing to troll through the hundreds of, of people you could contact and understand why they're the right person to contact, why they should care about what you're doing, really try and get to know them, get on social media, 
bit counterintuitive, but spending the time on Twitter and LinkedIn to interact with these people is totally worth it. There's, um, you know, there's some of the hottest Silicon Valley and, and London-based venture capitalists and investors that for absolutely no reason, you know, they'll be having a conversation on Twitter and I'm able to just say, oh, here, here's what I think about this. And suddenly I'm getting a response from this person who runs, you know, like a billion dollar fund or something stupid. And, and where in the real world would you, would you ever get that kind of interaction? Um, so the money's there. And I think, again, we go back to how do you tell the story? What validation points do you have and all that sort of stuff. But um, if you can get people excited, you can put out some, you know, regular and good content. doesn't even have to be that good. Um, then you're going to put in a good place to uh, to tap into those resources that are available. Um, I was kind of wondering, what would you say is your biggest achievement as a founder so far? And why? <laughs> Surviving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's, I mean, that's such a tough one. I don't even know where to start, to be perfectly honest. There's, there's so many things we're proud of. Uh, so many things, I think, that were just big lessons learned and it's uh important to to take those as well even if it wasn't like a positive experience at the time um but in terms of like big achievements from a very personal perspective um you know landing this this pilot with tsb to be able to say well um you know i'm a first time founder the product's now ready and we've landed you know, a major financial institution with you know, 5% market share of the UK banking sector as a first client, um, I was running down my hallway in my flat um, when that when that thing was finally signed. So I think from, yeah, a very personal perspective is that, but from, I guess, a wider company thing, I think, um, and the other, the other co-founders will attest to this, I think, but we had our... Um, kind of like company first like wider company lunch um after christmas time just kind of everyone brought back together in a nice couple of hours just to we try and do a monthly company lunch uh but we brought in a couple of new people in the beginning of the year um and to get everyone kind of like sat down for a couple of hours just like works out the door we're playing games on zoom and stuff and uh you know we send delivery vouchers out to people um just to see people who have never actually met in person, which is wild, um, interact, like have fun, joke around with each other. Um, but you're sitting there thinking like, holy shit, I've brought these people together. And they're all, you know, really smart, really good at what they do. They're able to bounce off of each other straight away. And, you know, we're big football players. So it's kind of cool to be like building this team. I think that is you know, maybe not uh, labeled as like an achievement, but it's definitely something I think we're most proud of. So what would you say are your top five tips for any aspiring entrepreneur? Number one, it's really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, there are days certainly when you want to just give up. Um, and I think it's really important to be able to look at, like acknowledge that that's happening. Mm-hmm. It might not be burnout, but of course people do get burnt out. Um, but to be able to take a step back and, and really understand what matters. So finding a support network that could be other founders it could be family it could be friends it could be therapists it doesn't matter but having that to fall back on i think is really important for founders i think first and foremost if you're getting started out understand that it's not all going to be good days but it's certainly not going to be all going to be bad days there's a reason that 
uh, you know, founders usually do it again because it is addictive. It's the, the feeling of when things go right is, is unmatched. Um, yeah, so leading off of that, I think you need to be really resilient. Uh, take everything with a pinch of salt. Everything feels, everything bad feels like it's really bad. Everything good feels like it's really good. So try and just, you know, bounce out, take a deep breath. Uh, use your network. So this goes back to what we were talking about in terms of you know, first building that network, but then um, how do you make the most of, of your situations? Just use those. Uh, people are, I think, really receptive to kind of vulnerability and, and questions, just being quite open. And you'll be surprised if you can go to somebody who's super senior in your industry or your field and say, you know, uh, I've read your work or this is what I'm dealing with. And I saw that you did X, Y, Z. Um, and I just had a, a quick question about this. Uh, are you willing to chat? And it's, you'll be really surprised by the, by the receptiveness of, of things like that. Obviously you need to make sure that it's pertinent and it's not just a kind of sales pitch to these people, but, um, yeah. So I think, uh, getting that support network, being resilient, making the most of your situation are, are big ones. Um, Take time for yourself. Your startup is not your personality. Um, something that I think every founder struggles with and just knowing where to like draw the line and take some personal time and say, I will have X hours or minutes to do this thing that I want to do. I know I'm going to go for a run or, or go and play football or just sit and play video games or you know go and grab a beer with my friends because that's what I need to do. And making time for yourself. Um, is really important and to kind of talk to the other side of that the last one would be work hard put in the hours um i know it probably con contradicts the first three or four things i've said <laughs> but uh you can't help but think my competitor is probably working weekends so like why am i not working weekends um and sometimes it's because you need to recharge your batteries and like an old laptop, you know, isn't worth the money that you'll waste if you just buy a new laptop and, you know, have something that fully functions. And the same goes for your, for your body and your mind. You want to be able to, you know, that day off, if it, you know, as long as it doesn't cost you a big deal or something, it's probably worth it if it means you're going to be more efficient or work better during the week. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest on uh, Roadcast. Uh, it's been lovely to have you. Yes, thank you for having me. Um, if you want to learn more about AppTap, we're apptap.co.uk or usually apptap.uk on any of the socials. Um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Feel free to reach out. I've actually got a um, startup founders like starter pack up there that kind of runs through everything from product market fit, lean startup through to hiring and fundraising and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, come check it out. It's there. As always, thank you very much to our guest on today's show. If you want to find out more about Disruptive Innovation or Rogue Monkey, you can follow us on Instagram via RogueMonkeyHQ or search for our page on LinkedIn. Until then, be bold, be brave, be a Rogue Monkey.